0: Okay.
1: All righty. Good morning. My name is my name is Valerie Leonard. I am the founder of nonprofit Utopia. And I have with me today our guest, Sarah Karp. She is a reporter with WBEC. And just a little bit about nonprofit Utopia. We are the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders And the way we train nonprofit leaders is through an online community. We do live streams like this one. We also do consulting and have, um, we also do coaching. And before we get into our discussion with Sarah, I just wanted to share with you an abstract from an article from Lawrence Wallach. And I thought this would be really, really helpful because I think it's hard enough when you're trying to get into traditional media, but it's even harder from my personal experience, I don't know about yours, but it's even harder when you have policy and advocacy, you know, issues that don't necessarily fit very well within sound bites or people might not necessarily understand, you need to do a lot of education. So just to set the groundwork He says that media advocacy is defined as the strategic use of mass media to advance public policy initiatives. Media advocacy is rooted in community advocacy and has as its goal the promotion of healthy public policies. It can be differentiated from traditional mass media strategies in a number of ways. Media advocacy shifts the focus from the personal, to the social, from the individual to the political, from the behavior or practice to the policy or environment. While traditional media approaches try to fill the knowledge gap, media advocacy addresses the power gap. And I know that many of you are addressing the power gap every day in your work lives. So our guest for today is Sarah Carp. She is a reporter with WBEZ Radio here in Chicago. She's a former reporter for Catalyst Chicago, the Chicago Reporter, and the Daily Southtown. And she's covered education and children and family issues for more than 15 years. Oh my goodness. And I've known her for a good number of those yes. years. Uh, she's a graduate at the University of Missouri School of Journalism, and she's won five Education Writers Association Awards, three Society of Professional Journalism Awards, and the 2005 Sydney Hillman Award. She's a native of Chicago. So for me, I met Sarah when I was very active in the community um, in North Mondale, where I was born and raised as many of you from Chicago know, we have a number of education issues um, going on. But, you know, while the corporate media was telling us how beautiful the emperor's clothes were, so to speak, telling us about how good the turnarounds were, how we should close empty schools, uh, focus on high stakes testing, Sarah was doing investigative reporting. You know, she was kicking the tires trying to, get behind some of those major headlines. And she also ran the numbers to let us know how much money was being spent on school turnarounds, school closings, the financial condition of charter schools, and all that good stuff. She participated in town hall meetings at the community level. And in short, she gave us the ammo that we needed on the ground to really get our message through, not only to the community, but to policy holders and make an impact. So we're here today to talk to Sarah about ways that you can engage the media to bring about systems change in your own communities. So Sarah's gonna share insights on how nonprofits can use the message to uh, use the media to get your word out. And then she'll also talk about what makes your stories newsworthy how to establish relationships with reporters and how to use the media to keep your stories alive, keep them at the top of mind, not only in your community, but for other reporters and for funders and, and policy makers. And we see that Robert Douglas has made himself known and he said, good, thank you so much, Robert. It's great to have you here. All right. so. Sarah again, good morning. It's great to have you. (laughs) Great to have you. And and it's interesting that you're now on the other side.
0: (laughs) That's right, that's right. Can I I take the heat? Is the question. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And
1: before we delve deeper, you know, just let us know a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you actually get started with journalism and how did you come to work with WBEZ?
0: So, you know, I actually got started with journalism when I was in high school at a Chicago public high school, and I um, I got a summer job. It was like through the mayor's job program at an, an organization called New Expression Newspaper, which was a citywide newspaper back in the 90s and uh, wow. through about the 2000s. And, um, and I mean, it started actually in the 70s and lasted all the way that that amount of time. And so... I did that summer program and there was actually a nun that was ahead of that summer, that um, organization, New Expression. And she kind of wrote me in. she kept telling me, you have to come back to finish this and you have to come back to finish this. And so I just kept coming back even once the summer job was over and um, eventually became very involved in that organization. And I was covering schools was one of my very first jobs there. So, um, you know, I I come from like a family of teachers and I've always been interested in education and how education Mm -hmm. can, you know, be a catalyst for, for change in, in children's lives. So I, you know, I sort of stuck with, I've done a little bit, I've done some stuff on um, DCFS and child welfare and juvenile justice, but education has always been my passion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I came to WBZ, you, you know, catalyst when I went out of business in the, um, about five or six years ago, and I, I could kind of see the writing on the wall that it was it was um some of the funders were turning to other organizations and and mm-hmm. so it was sort of losing its its steam. And I was looking for a place that I could do good journalism. and in mm-hmm. Chicago, with like the newspaper with the mainstream newspapers, you know, really struggling at different moments in in history and in recent years, um I was very nervous to go to go over to that side and um, and so I, I was really looking for another um, place just where I could do good journalism and I saw a lot of good journalism being done at, at WBEC so um, when they had a position and they offered it to me I was like yeah let me let me uh, take that because then really right now I think I think that, you know, WBZ has one of the more vibrant newsrooms in the city, um, you know, as as the Tribune sometimes have have experienced a lot of losses in recent in recent years. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: OK, now,
1: how different is it to do you, you do radio, right, as opposed to print? I met you when you were focusing on print media. Is it very different?
0: It is. And, you know, we do have a website, so I'm actually doing, I do both, you know, and the the smaller pieces, um, it's just radio, but like a longer piece, there's also a web story. Mm -hmm. And it is very different. It actually is very different in ways that that I didn't know until I transitioned to radio. So, um, you know, the way what you need for the elements of a good radio story are definitely different than the elements that you'd need for a good um, print story. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things is that a really good radio story has um, a scene, a place, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's really not a good idea if you really want to do a good radio story to do it from your home or from, <laughs> your, or from your studio, right. you know, getting out, seeing things, being able to tell people, you know, I'm at the place where this is happening, Ooh. brings it alive for people in a, in a way that, you know, just being on the phone doesn't, doesn't bring it alive. And also I think that in radio, it's much more important to let people sort of tell their own story in their own voice and to sort of have a, the reporter back out of the way as much as possible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And just let the person talk. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but I think that when you when you think of this, the radio stories, it really hits you, it's when you really get to know someone or go somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, as you were talking, and you're probably too young to remember, but there was a radio show, Mystery Theater. Oh, she's like, I heard of that. Um As you can see, Sarah's a little bit younger than I am, but there was this show, Mystery Theater, and they would actually narrate stories, and you could hear the sounds in the background. and And I can remember talking with Linda Lutton. You know, some of those um, interviews. You know, she would use sound effects pretty well. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. And can you tell us a little bit more about WBEZ?
0: So WBEZ is the NPR, the National Public Radio um, news station in Chicago. So we're an affiliate of this big organization. Um, we're, we're funded in a very unique way. You know, we we ask for donations from the public, and about 60% of our funding just comes from people who call in and say, I'll give you $10 a month, or I'll give you $100,000, or I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> That's it. Okay. So, um, and you know so we have pledge drives and that that does drive some of our revenue the other Mm -hmm. side of our revenue mostly comes from foundations and underwriting which is you know just sometimes you'll hear on the radio you know what sounds like an ad but there's certain Mm -hmm. parameters that we can't um that we can't say because we're a public radio station so we can't like make the direct ask we just have to sort of lay out the facts but so and we also do get some federal funding, though it's not really a very big portion of our um of our funding. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, defund public media, <laughs> right. you know, especially the the um the right, where they they think that the public media is too far to the left. But really we we're not that dependent on public on public funding. So thank oh, goodness yeah. you know <laughs> it's not it's not the biggest part of our budget. But You know, I think that for a lot of people who work for public media, we we do feel very much like the public is the important part of that scenario. So we we see ourselves as trying to serve the public. I will say that the thing that's most problematic to me with public with working for public media is that it's its audience is not um, is not as diverse as I would like it to be, and a lot of times, you know, I I kind of feel like the people that I'm reporting on don't necessarily listen to what I'm, um, what I produce, and I, I I feel like that's a place where there's there's definitely a, a part of our mission is to change that, but I think that that's um, hey. hey, someone just walked into my office. Oh, yes. The <laughs> voice sounds right. familiar. sorry about that um but um yeah so i i do think that that's one thing that we really really need to to work on is to make sure that the people that we report on know that we exist and know that we're interested in their stories and hopefully that we can produce things that will interest them that they could listen to us to or read our stories on the web
1: Okay, so I'm going to interrupt just a little bit, let you know that we've got a listener, Kylie Comer. I don't know if you ever met her, but she says, thank you for hosting this as a new ED, developing a communication strategy. I'm excited to learn more. And then (laughs) Robert, are you going to talk about the new CPS community engagement office? They're moving forward together initiative, that was not my plan. Our goal today, and Sarah may find some way to wind it in, but Robert, our goal today was just to show people how they can use the media themselves, you know, and amplify their own issues. So, you know, I know you're out and about in the community and you're in Roseland and you've got a lot to say. And Sarah's gonna be here helping folks like you to you know be more effective in reaching out and if there's some way she can draw that into her comments by all means otherwise you might want to contact Sarah and she'll be giving her her information out at the end all right does does that help you yeah Okay.
0: And I know, I know, Robert, I can definitely uh, reach out to him and ask him what he thinks we should be knowing about that initiative or thinking oh. about that initiative, so. Okay.
1: All right. And maybe that could be an example or something, too. I don't, I don't know. However you, you know, if you feel it's appropriate to bring it in, you know, so if not, um, you know Robert. <laughs> All right. So. Um, What would you recommend that nonprofits do to get prepared? You know, I'm sure there's a lot of work that we need to do before we come to the media.
0: So I think that one of the most important things is to make sure that you have people on around that can talk about the project that are whatever you're pitching that are actually affected by it. So, you know, I I think that. You know, I, I try not to be lazy, but I, I will say that, that we're, we're not, I, I don't, I actually don't think any of my colleagues are lazy, but we can be very busy, you know, right. we can be very like, you know, there's some, especially, you know, younger reporters who are working at like places like um, Blocks to Get at Black Club Chicago, or, you know, some even like the Trigger sometimes, they might be juggling three or four stories in a day. So, mm-hmm. To make a good story, you really want to be able to talk to people affected by whatever you're writing, and you know the people running the program or the people mm-hmm. on the advocacy side. So, I definitely think that having a couple people lined up who are available, who you know you don't have to chase down, is is important. The other thing is to help us see the connections um, to you know what might be going on nationally or a bigger what's the bigger issue Mm -hmm. you know so if you're just gonna you know a good example is that somebody might pitch oh we're opening a new job training center um in the city so that might be like well what's what's unique about that job training center and then if you say to me well you know there's there's a big push to get um Young men into trades, and that's what we're going to be doing. And you can say, listen, and the percentage of young black men in trades is only like three percent, and so we're trying to influence that. Then giving me that context, you know, might help me to say, like, oh, now I see that there's there's a reason that I should cover that. So I think that mm-hmm. that's also an important thing. Is, you know. as much as you can do some of the homework for some of the reporters, I think is, is helpful, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, great. And then I guess just a basic question, you know, what's the difference between a press release, you know, a news story and an op-ed? I think we kind of get those mixed
0: up. (laughs) Sure. Sure. And it is true. So a press release is just telling here's the news, like here's something that I think that you could cover Um, or that you could write about, but it should be very, very, um, you know, just based, like, here are the facts of what's going on. An opinion piece is somebody writing, you know, this is like, this is their opinion from my, you know, and and that would be a longer, something longer with more like narrative and more structure. Um, And then um, a news story is actually like what I would take a press release and then I would write the news story. So, you know i don't want for somebody to send me most of the time a press release that is already written as a news story now if you're pitching to some smaller publications like especially community based publications they might be able to publish a news story written by an organization and so as much as you can do that for them then that's uh, you know that might be that might work for them but you know, one thing about press releases is I don't want to have to search through a press release to find the news. You know, I don't want to if I have to read more than the top paragraph, I'm probably not going to read. It. I mean, it's just such, well, I mean, you know, you can go into my inbox. I bet you, you know, I bet you on a daily basis, we get, you know, 50 to 100 pitches. And so I'm quickly like going through them to see if there's anything interesting and I'm not you know I'm not really spending much time so you know put the news in the in the first paragraph don't try and lure me in don't put the news in the first paragraph give me bullet points mm-hmm. um give me phone numbers and and make it very straightforward
1: okay and here is a question from Robert do you guys buy
0: and sell stories? We do not. <laughs> we do not. Um, I mean, we have freelancers who work for us, and in that sense, we buy their stories. But those are, but we don't just take a story that's already written. It would have to be already commissioned. You know, like mm-hmm. the editor would have to have said, "We're going to buy. The, we're we're interested in the story," and then the person would have to go out. And no, we can't sell our stories. <laughs> You <laughs> can't make more money on them. At least I don't think we can, but I've never really tried. But um, you know, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay. So you already shared what it's been like for you, you know, the difference between your working in print media versus radio. If I were working with an organization, should I be aware of any differences in the way I approach print versus radio versus television.
0: Well, I'm going to say this, and this is as a radio reporter, but as a broadcaster because I think this is true of TV. In order to produce a radio or TV story, it's a lot less than to produce a print story. So, you know, really I get 45 seconds to 50 seconds on 95% of my stories. So wow. you can imagine right. So I mean I don't get a lot. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't make three or four phone calls and try to find because if I know I have 50 seconds in that, if I'm going to be using somebody's voice, I want what they say to be as powerful as possible, right? And so I might call a couple of different people and see, you know, who you know, who said who says it something in a way that I think will really communicate what the the small little pieces trying to communicate and you know tv they just want to come out they're going to be there for you know 15 20 minutes now they might just be on zoom for 15 20 minutes they're using less than that i mean i think like their pieces are you know much less than that so you have to realize like there are time that's a very different thing to just put together a 45 to 50 second piece than to put together um, you know, even write a 700 word story. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the number of words is just <laughs> way more than a 700 word story. So I just think understanding that, you know, broadcast journalism is, it's just a different, it's a different beast. You get, mm-hmm. you know, you get very little time. And it's actually, it's, it's not even, the reason is that when, if you're listening to something, people's attention spans are very short. Mm-hmm. So, You know, imagine you're driving in the car. How long do you really want to listen to something about the same thing? Not that long. And you want it to be, you want it to catch you. You want it to say something to you quickly. Um, When you sit and read something, I think you have a little more patience with it. Mm -hmm. Right. And your attention is a little more focused on it. So I I, I think keeping those things in mind um, and not to be disappointed, even if let's say a radio, you know, let's say I call three people. I'm only probably going to use one cut from somebody, and that's going to be the person who I think is most says something that has the most, um, you know, just will capture what what I'm trying to say the best. So,
1: and it sounds to me, you know, just reading between the lines of what you're saying, is we need to get good at talking in 30 second or even 10 second sound bites if we want to capture.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that thinking about the way you say something now, I, when I talk to somebody, I'd rather like them be as natural as possible, right? I don't want them mm-hmm. to be like, I have a a talking point and here's what I'm going to say and this mm-hmm. and that. I mean, tr- truthfully, now this is something that I a little bit sometimes can feel uneasy about with radio and broadcast mm-hmm. news, but where there is emotion, that's usually better, you know, so if it's too canned, if you've like thought about it too much and you're, you're like reading something, that's okay. not going to sound very good on the radio. But if you are passionate about something mm-hmm. and you can communicate that passion, that's what's going to play well on the radio or, the, or on TV. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I definitely think about that. Think about like, OK, I'm going into this interview. I got to I got to make this person understand why this is, means something, you know?
1: Got it. Got it. And is there a difference in the way we should prepare for a radio interview versus television or print?
0: Um I don't I don't think in in, in a huge way except for that, you know, just just thinking about the fact that as, as clearly as you can communicate is, is important, you know, uh, with, with a, with a radio piece, as I said, it's like you have a very short period of time. You're, if you're using, if I'm a print reporter and, and, you know, I do write web stories. So I, I still see myself sort of as a print reporter. I can explain, okay, this is what this person is saying. I can give you a little more detail about what does this person really mean? I can like, if they use a very technical term, I can explain what that technical term is in a print, in print. On the radio, I don't have time for that. <laughs> you know, right. probably what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take take it, and if you say something really complicated, I'm going to have to say it in like the most simplest, common way possible. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, that I think that just thinking like you got... you. it's very good if you can like take out the technical terms, take out the acronyms, you know, if you're going to say, if you're going to be talking about, let's just say like welfare, this is back in the day and and you said TANF, I'm not going to want to use that. That whole cut is going to be totally (laughs) messed up because I'm going to be like, nobody driving in their car remembers what TANF is. I need you to say it the way people know it. So mm-hmm. um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. But I also think, you know, both ways, I, I think going into an interview like it's a conversation is always the best way to go in, whether it's a radio, a radio reporter or a print reporter. You know, I'm just a, you know, a person. You're just a person. We're just having a conversation. And I mm-hmm. think that as relaxed as you are, as real that you are, will always come off better than being too, like, you know, can yeah. or two. Yeah. So what makes news news? It kind of depends. I mean, it's, it's, I think it kind of depends what kind of news. So if you're like TV, what makes news is if there's a good picture. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that is true. Sometimes on the radio, what makes news is that if there's emotion, right? If there's like okay. some, if, I mean, I've heard reporters, I don't really, I mean, this is not something that I'm 100% comfortable with, but like, if it's, if there's good tape, so if it sounds good on the radio, people will be like, oh, I want to put this on the radio. You might even get more time if it, if you've created a situation or if there's a situation that is more, um, that produces better tape, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then also just the regular definitions of news. Is it new? Is it unusual? Is it, you know... Is it timely, you know, those those things that are, you know, just always news. Does it relate to something that's happening beyond yourself, you know, like Mm -hmm. nationally, internationally? Those are always things that that we look for. Trends.
1: Yeah, so how do you stand out? There's so much noise, right? So many competing stories and issues. And when you're dealing with policy advocacy, as I said before, it could be really dry. How do you make that stuff come alive? How do you stand out?
0: Well, I think that the the big thing is to put people in touch with the person that can explain why this is important because mm-hmm. it's really important to them. And mm-hmm. I think that that's how it stands out. I mean, you know, you, you can talk about let's say homeless policy all <laughs> all you want, right? All right. If I hear from a person you know, and I understand their story and I can relate to their story and I can, you know, that, and I can put somebody on the radio that gets somebody to see somebody else's perspective or see how somebody else's, you know, um, experience could, could relate to theirs or could be theirs. Or, you know, I think that that's what makes, um, makes something stand out. I mean, when I get, and and in fact, if you talk about like the PR, the, public relations people that I would call, you know, and say, hey, can you help me get somebody? It's those that I know are able to put me in touch with, like, and I, I don't like this term because it sounds very like callous, but like what you call real people, <laughs> it's all real people, right? Even, even, the, even the, you know, even the university professors is, is is actually a real person. <laughs> but they do sound like one on the radio, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, but I do, if I can if I can talk to somebody, if I can come to someone's house and have a conversation with them, it, st- it stands out way more than if I'm just like, well, we can get the director on the phone with you tomorrow. I want to talk to the director, too, but I also want to go to the person's house and talk to them. And I think that mm-hmm. every reporter would tell you that that makes it a, more compelling for mm-hmm. them.
1: Yeah, I can remember when I was you know, doing you know, a lot of work in North Lawndale around education, you would call me a lot. Yeah. And, and I guess my question to you, I can't get inside your head, so I'll ask you, why would you call me? I was a community activist, you know, doing this stuff around education, but for some reason you would call me quite often.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, because I knew that you knew what you were talking about, and I knew that you were like... That you were for real you know like you were actually doing the work and you were actually connected to the people that mm-hmm. you were doing the work with and i i think that as reporters like we try to find those people who are connectors to communities especially ones mm-hmm. that like we don't live in um, mm-hmm. and it's people that we can trust mm-hmm. so you know there's, I won't, I won't say his name, but there is an activist on um, the far south side where, um, it's not Robert, but some other <laughs> actor, where I called that person to ask them about a, a story that I was interested in, and they realized that this was a good story, and they called another media outlet, and that media outlet came and covered it, and they like spooked me, so I have to trust them. But also, I just think knowing that some, if somebody knows their stuff, then it's, that's mm-hmm. the, that's to me, I mean, and yeah, a person who just, who can connect me with other people in the community is, is also good. So.
1: Okay. So we've got another question from Kalia. She says, what's the best way to build relationships with reporters? You know,
0: I definitely would see if somebody can have coffee with you, you know, see if you can have, you know, if, if there's a reporter that you think is doing work that is similar to the work that you think that you want to promote call that person say hey you know let's just have a let's just you know meet down the block and have a cup of coffee because if i've sat down with you um you know when i am not pursuing a story just on a you know it's Mm -hmm. you know 10 a.m on a tuesday i'm and then i see an email from you i'm immediately going to be like yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll open that email. I'll read through that email. Or if you call me, I'll pick up, you know, there's so um, definitely, I think that that's probably the best way. I mean, it's still email, texting, DMing. I mean, if you have a particular story, I think, you know, doing those things are okay. But I definitely think if I just know who you are, and I know, you know, I know your face, <laughs> you know, it's like, then, then I'll, you know, it's, it's just that you build a relationship with the reporters the way you build them with anybody. But um, yeah, don't, don't be, a. we can be busy, but don't be afraid of us because we're like, just, first of all, you guys are helping. You don't realize that when you're giving us a good story, you're helping us as much as we might be helping you. Right. Because mm-hmm. we have a lot of pressure to do, to do good stories. So, We want the good stories, you know? We want to know what's going on.
1: Right, so when you talked about going to coffee with you, I I remember having coffee (laughs) with one of your colleagues and he would not accept my paying for coffee. Yeah. yeah. He mentioned something about ethics. Can you speak a little bit about some of the ethical do's and don'ts?
0: Yeah. Technically, I, you know, usually we, we think we should just, we don't want anybody to think that we owe them something, even if it's that we owe them a cup of coffee. Right, right. Like, like you know, can you really buy me off for $2? <laughs> but in case, so, um, but you know, it, it goes back to like, if, if, um, if you're having coffee with like a politician or a drink with a politician, which... I mean, I I actually, like, I'm way, 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 way less likely to want to have anything offline with an official than I am with a community member. But mm-hmm. it, those are the reasons why we're, like, none of the, our sources are <laughs> really supposed to have, like, like, basically we want to owe nobody anything. <laughs> so <Right. it's laughs> like that's, that's what, and, and, you know, one thing too i mean we can expense anything that if we go to coffee or something we can you know our our work will pay for it so let us just pay for it and just be happy about that (laughs) so (laughs) yes yes yes
1: so what what tips would you give for making a strong press release or for writing a strong press release
0: so i think the best the the most important tip is to quickly tell me what you're pitching and not try to be cute or funny or anything like that. (laughs) Just be like, um, you know, you know, very quickly try to say, you know, who, what, where, when, why, um, in the first paragraph. So even maybe the lead, the other thing is, this is a very big pet peeve of mine. Give me a phone number.
1: Don't just give me an
0: email address. And give me a phone number where a human being is going to answer it, you know, answer the phone, not like just, um, is nothing that makes me more upset than I get it. Cause if you have to understand, like, as I said, we got like, we might be working on several stories in a day, we got time constraints. And so if I have to like email somebody and wait for them to get back to me, then, um, that's a little annoying. <laughs> I'd rather <laughs> at least talk to somebody, even if it's like the secretary who says, you know, um, you know Deborah Smith will, will, will be available at 1030 to like have an interview. So even if it's not you, but your secretary can tell me that, then I can say, oh, I can tell my editor, I can get that story to you by two o'clock. And I can do that quickly as opposed to like, I got to email somebody, hope they get back to me. See, you know, there's all these, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm an old old fan. And I think most reporters are like this. They want, even, you know, if it's a cell phone number, if I can text you and say, what time can I call you Mm -hmm. better? You know, it's, it's that direct communication. I think that that in this digital age, I think that's one thing that is like the worst thing. And, and, and people's websites, Mm-hmm. If you have a media tab and then under that media tab, you have just to fill out a contact form. Ooh. No, <laughs> give me a phone number and a person and a human being, and give <laughs> a human being that still works there. You know, <laughs> update that. Cause that also, you know, sometimes I think, Oh, I'm going to call this, this organization. And then I go to their website. I can't find a phone number to at all. Ooh. And, the person that is listed as their media contact, you know, left four years ago, I already know what or- other organization this year he works for. So now, <laughs> you know, it's like, so yeah, I, that's one thing I really is a, is a big pet peeve of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know people might say, well, I, well, I don't want to be giving my, you know, my personal cell phone out to everybody. And I understand that. But I also think that most media people aren't going to like just start calling you out of nowhere or be like super annoying or super, mm-hmm. you know, I'm only going to call somebody off hours if it's like a emergency that I really, really need to know. I mean, I don't want to be working <laughs> on Sunday afternoon anyways, so I'm not going to call you on Sunday afternoon, right? So, but Make it easy for us because, as I say, it's, it's it can be that we're just juggling so much. So
1: okay, we got another question from Kylia Are presenting bullet points okay for pitch or press release?
0: I like bullet points. Okay, I do. I you know concise, like you know bullet points. This is. And, and even like a, a list of here's four people that you can call and here are their roles. I mean, the, those things help. I mean, make it simple and, and easy and quick, you know.
1: It's, yeah, it's interesting when you say, well, here are four people I, you can call. What about when you're doing a press conference? You know, have you, do you feel like there's a difference in your interaction in a press conference as opposed to, you know, over lunch or coffee, so to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, press conferences, well, first of all, I know everybody else is there.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so, I mean, I'm not uniquely getting the information, but, mm-hmm. but I like press conferences, especially ones where, you know, somebody from, you know, there's a variety of people talking um, you know, I, one thing that does annoy me was is when organizations have press conferences and spend half the time thanking them, thanking the people on their board <laughs> and everything. And I'm like, you know, I'm very, you know, that's never going to make it into my article. It's never going to make it into uh, <laughs> and and there must be some other way to thank them to spend like a half hour thanking everybody and their mother for building the building. You know, <laughs> like I don't. I mean I know it's sort of part of the thing but if it's a press conference then I don't need to hear all that. You know, do make it for the press and then maybe another event to like thank the donors or something. <laughs> it shouldn't be one and the same, you know. Yeah. That's yeah. my own opinion. It sounds sort of crude but that's how I kind of Sometimes I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm going to be three <laughs> <a reality> hours <laughs> listening to everybody." So,
1: I am so glad you are taking the time to be so Candid, you know, this is stuff we will never, ever, ever hear otherwise. Um, and, and I just thank you for for being candid. Well, you, know, you asked
0: the question, I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, for better or worse. Yes,
1: uh, I, I love it. I love it. So, what what are some of the dos and don'ts? You you just mentioned one, um, and and even throughout the conversation, you've mentioned some of your pet peeves. But if you were to summarize some of the dos and don'ts of approaching the media and making sure that your story is placed?
0: Um, I think probably the biggest pet peeve I have, especially for -for not-for-profits, is when when they pitch something and then I say, oh, can I talk to somebody who's affected by it? And then they feel like they must provide a protection to the people Mm. that they are serving, and I understand there's, you know, people, you know, we don't want to expose people and we don't want to make people vulnerable for like our own purposes. And I understand that. But I also think like you can find somebody and coach somebody and have somebody ready to like tell what's necessary to like tell that story. Um, And I think like to to say, well, we can't tell you who this is affecting. We can't let that person talk to you, but we'll talk to you about how it's affecting that person. I think that that's. I just don't. I, I mean, I think that that first of all, it's not going to turn out to be a very good story, and it's not. You know, it's not going to be as as strong or as relevant to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's my biggest pet peeve. Is like, well, you can't talk to, you know somebody. And if you're pitching this story, let me talk to the person, you know, let me talk to the people that it's affecting. I think that that's the important thing is like, um, you know, a lot of times too, I think people get protected who don't necessarily have to be like, they, they don't even want to be. The other thing is that you can tell me I don't want this person's name used, and this is why. Like, I can put you in touch with that person, mm-hmm. um, and I think that it, that's okay. And actually, when you come, when it comes to broadcasts, it's that's one place where I see a big benefit is that when I worked for print, I was very much against using not using someone's name because it sounded a little, you know, like. Are you sure that's a real person? Someone from the West Side told me this, you know, but if I can say, um, if I can say like, if I can put someone's voice or if you're a pro, if you're TV and you can you know put someone but just not show their full face, then it doesn't feel like it's so anonymous. It feels like the person actually exists, and so I think mm-hmm. I feel like as a radio reporter, I'm a little more open to not mm-hmm. using someone's name than I was as a print reporter. So that's something to keep in mind that you know maybe you have somebody who you know maybe they're they're like someone who's formerly incarcerated, and you don't want their name used because you don't want every employer to be able to just type their name in and see that they were formerly incarcerated. I can understand that. Still let me talk to the the person and I don't have to use the, the person's name. I can just say, you know, John, who asked for his privacy to be, you know, maintained and and that can be okay too. Okay. And Robert made a point of saying,
1: you know, other cases are, you know, sexual misconduct. Um, you know, you don't want to necessarily expose victim.
0: And we're very sensitive to, to that. I mean, I actually will err on the side of not using a child's name, especially somebody under 18's name. Okay. even if the dad, even if the person is like 16 year old and says, hey, use my name, it's fine. I actually will tell them sometimes like, hey, I, I, I don't know that in 15 years you're going to want your name attached to this. And I'm not going to be the one that's going to put you out there. You know, I, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I'm, I I feel like I will, I actually want to protect people myself, because I mean, I just like a doctor, I, I think a, a journalist doesn't want to do any harm, you know, I'm not out there to hurt anybody. So, um, you know, that I think that's my responsibility too to protect people from being harmed. Okay, great. We've got a question from
1: Corey Friedman. First of all, hello, Corey. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, do you have any suggestions on how to balance information slash news overload, especially when sorting out opinions from news?
0: You know, I think I think this is an interesting question because um, especially young people, I don't think that they understand the difference between when it's somebody's opinion and it's actually fact, you know, and I I do think we need to do a much better job in general of um, teaching kids like, okay, here are trusted news sources and here is an opinion, you know, and this is written from a person's point of view and that this is, you know, facts from a trusted news source as opposed to pseudo facts from an untrusted news source, you know, (laughs) Um, I, I think it's, it's very, very difficult, but, um, I do think though, we do know what our trusted news sources. I mean, I, I, I think that as a, as people in this world, we can say like, okay, the New York times, the Washington post, the trip, you know, these, these old time trusted news sources. Now I'm not saying these sources get everything right, but I'm also saying that they try. You know that the, the attempt is there. At least in <laughs> other places, there's no attempt. But um, right. you know, <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know about news overload. I mean, I, I, my personal feeling is that, especially young people who have all this news coming from Instagram and Facebook and snapchat and the x y and z they i think they are overloaded and i don't i do think they don't know what to, to trust and i think as as like older people we need to be able to help people say you know this is this is what's actually real so
1: mm-hmm. yeah we got another question from robert what's the role of media in public policy reform
0: You know, I think that it's more that the role of media is to present as best as we can the truth and a variety of experiences and a variety of, you know, what's happening in this world and to, you know, I I do not think that I promote public policy reform, but I definitely feel as though it's my responsibility to tell what the problems are and to um, provide some, the different opinions on how to solve these problems. And I I think that, that maybe even a better way to look at how to get media to attack public policy is to, really think about what is the problem that that public policy is trying to solve for and then sell the person on doing the story about the problem because then what follows is the public policy solution right Mm
1: -hmm. and i think sarah is being extremely modest here um i'm going to give you a situation sarah worked with What what was it, Catalyst when I met you and you did that big expose on turnarounds and and the cost of turnarounds and how some schools were benefiting more and not necessarily, benefiting more financially and not necessarily delivering a better result. I would work with folks in the community and A guy some people might know as a member of the Board of Education, Dwayne Trust, but at the time he was in the community and we would read Sarah's stuff religiously and we would use the information that she would print. You know, not that she necessarily had an opinion, but she believed in sharing sunlight on a lot of these issues. And we used the data that she shared and we exposed or amplify what, what she printed, brought it um, to the community, let people know that some of these solutions were not working. And over time, I think it took like five, six, maybe even seven years, um, people began to see that there wasn't necessarily a total um, advantage to sending kids to charter schools just because they were charter schools. I think. People learn to um, investigate school options more carefully and not necessarily go to a school just because it had charter behind its name. And then when I look at the fact that Dwayne Truss is now a board member, he's leaning back on some of the work. And, you know, Dwayne did not tell me this. Right but he's leaning back on some of the work that he did as an activist, and he is using his experience to influence some of the school policy. And one of the policies I read about not too long ago is they're going to be curtailing, they, meaning CPS, they're gonna be curtailing the expenditures to a well-known turnaround entity, right? So. Sarah, you have impacted policy, and that's just one example. You know, school closures—you've impacted that significantly by exposing the cost of the school closings and having people organize around it, and then, in turn, influence policy.
0: Yeah, and you know, by the way, it's very interesting because um, the new superintendent that's coming in, Pedro Martinez. You know, he, he's, one, he's like an old daily guy and he brought some teacher training programs to San Antonio and handed the schools over to them, which is what we were doing in Chicago with AUS, with uh, the Academy yeah. for Urban School Leadership. So, yeah, I'm very interested to see. It's almost like he brought Chicago reform to San Antonio and now that he comes back here, <laughs> is he going to bring it back? Like, what's he? Because it's like. The reform yeah. that we already like a little bit. I mean, we don't we don't do turnarounds anymore, and we're stopping to fund AUSL, and so I'm I'm just really curious as to how that plays out. So
1: yeah, yeah. So um, all righty. So I guess one more question, and I, I know we're we're done. And thank you so much, Kylie and everyone else who's been able to attend. Um, one, well, two last questions. One, what gives organizations staying power in the media?
0: I think the biggest thing is if if um, media can trust you. You know, if you, there are organizations who I just, well, A, if I trust them, and if I know that they're really, really in the community. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want the organization, I don't want the organization downtown that, you know, everyone's got to travel to see and, you know, they got some plush places. I'm like, I want to, I want to be able to call the, the people who can say, who I ask, you know, Oh, I'm doing a story on this. Um, Hey, there's there's people sitting in my office right now who I can hand the phone to, you know. <laughs> I want the people that are really out there and and really have connections to the to the communities that they're talking about, not just from you know, from Michigan and Bulbash. <laughs> <Right. laughs> so, so that's I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, to me, and if they're dependable, if people answer the phone, I think those are the big things, you know, we we want and if I see you, you know, I, I'm out and about a lot. So if I see you at various places and then I'm like, oh, especially if I if I go into schools and I see people that work with your organization in the schools that I go into, then next time I'm going to be like, oh, I know they're actually in the schools. I know they're actually doing the work. So I'm going to trust them to call them, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm not just calling somebody who's hypothesizing or something like that. <laughs> so. Yes, yes, yes
1: and um then one more question how can nonprofit leaders learn more about getting their stories out you know is there some training are there resources that you can point them to
0: um i think the public narrative do they still do trainings <laughs> so yeah. i think that that's a good organization i've definitely done i've done some trainings for them but you know since the pandemic it's been a little a little different but I, I also think, um, you know, I really think building the relationships with reporters and asking them, like, if if you send a press release and you get no hits, like nobody calls you, call mm-hmm. some reporters and say, like, why didn't you pick up on this? I find that reporters, most people are, like, super open to being like, hey, yeah, this is, you know, this is why I didn't pick up on it, and this is how you could better sell it to me. And, you know, I, I'm 95%, you know, willing to give my time if, you know, I, 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 sometimes it's, I'm busy. It might take me a few days to like go back and, and call somebody, but I definitely think people will. And I, I I just think asking people who are working out there, you know, Mm. um, because then you'll get some good ideas about what you could do next. And maybe then you can actually sell the story. So sell it, get Mm -hmm. the story printed or published. And that's part of building the relationship too. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then Robert says, Chicago State University just got a new master's program in leadership development. So I'm assuming Robert, you're you're saying that they also have programs that will show you how to uh, work with the media, just clarify and now Sarah we're um, coming down to the wire thank you for giving us more time uh, can you give us some closing remarks and then let us know how we can reach you and I already have someone who indicated that she'd like to keep in touch so after this we're gonna do an invite for,
0: great great well um, it's nice to meet you guys. And remember, I think that one thing that you guys should remember is that you guys are as important to us as we might seem to you. So you guys are, have value. The, the information that you guys give to us and present to us, or, you know, it has a lot of value to us. And, you know, we appreciate that you guys do the hard work out there in communities and we're just here writing about it. So, um, and, um, also, call me. My, I mean, I, I will give my cell phone easily. It's 312-608-1014. Um, and I'm also at skarp.wbez.org. At so um, reach out. Let me know what's going on, especially if it has to do with children or, you know um schools because that's that's mainly but also if you have a story that's not with them i can tell you who who at my shop or at other shops you know are, are interested in those type of stories so okay
1: and robert just um clarified um about the csu comment he says he needs media coverage oh <laughs> oh i i love robert He's he's very direct he tells you what he wants he's like
0: well, I actually we actually just got a, a young person at um, BZ who's covering some higher ed stuff. So I let me, and I know she was doing something related to CSU um, just last week. So let me let her know that that exists. So. Okay. All right, great. So
1: again, um, oh, he says they're launching in Vietnam. Oh that, wow, that that sounds like news to me. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very really interesting. <laughs>
0: And he says help. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, actually, that is interesting. That's very interesting.
1: All righty. Awesome. All right. So we're already over time. I just want to say thank you so much, Sarah, for spending your time. And I know you're under a serious deadline. So thank you. Thank you.
0: I appreciate your time too.
1: Okay. And Robert, yes, yeah, she's gonna she's gonna be in touch with you. All yes. Right. All right. Okay. So thank you so much. Right. And you take care. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. I was just under that You're older. <laughs> I, 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 let me talk about what was it? I, I can't say what was it about.